The Way Out Podcast, episode 353. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Way Out Podcast. Uh, so, what is your name, sir? Ryan Hampton. Welcome, Ryan. And what was your substance of choice or DOC? Oh, my goodness. Pretty much everything, but but primarily uh, opioids, heroin, um, and opioid-related uh, substances. Yeah. And we'll... We'll find out that, yeah, that means you're highly qualified for some of the stuff you've done and the work that you've uh, uh, put into putting some good information out there for people, which you're going to tell us all about. What is your recovery date, sir? February 2nd, 2015. That's outstanding. And this is a loaded question, but how do you serve the recovery community? (laughs) I mean, my primary purpose is lifting others up in the recovery community. I mean, my goal is to uh, do everything I can to help them find their purpose and their passion and and help lead the way in the recovery movement. Which you do a wonderful job at, sir. Uh, And finally, what, what does recovery mean to you? I mean, recovery for me is a process of change. It's any positive change in one's life uh, that helps them live their best self. Mm. Yes, indeed. Welcome, Way Out faithful and first-timers, to this week's installment of the Way Out podcast. We appreciate your ears. Our mission is simple, to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jumpstart or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction. The Way Out podcast does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. The Way Out Podcast is a proud supporter of Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees, in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Someone, somewhere, needs to hear your share. Listen up, everyone. Certified and professional recovery coaching is now available by going to wayoutcast.com and then clicking on Recovery Coaching. We want to help you and those you know who want help in building a strong, rewarding, and enduring recovery. Let our recovery experience and training enhance and strengthen your recovery by visiting wayoutcast.com and then clicking on Recovery Coaching. Finally, a word of caution. This podcast may contain strong language and mature content. Listener discretion is advised. The Way Out Podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie, and in this installment of The Way Out, person in long-term recovery 
and recovery advocate Ryan Hampton joins Jason for a tremendous recovery discussion. A prominent advocate, speaker, author, and media commentator, Ryan travels coast to coast to bring solutions to our national addiction and drug overdose crisis. In recovery from a decade-long opioid addiction, Hampton is regarded as a prominent expert and thought leader in America's rising addiction recovery advocacy and drug policy reform movements. His first best-selling book, American Fix, Inside the Opioid Addiction Crisis and How to End It, was released by St. Martin's Press in August 2018. His second book, Unsettled, How the Purdue Pharma Bankruptcy Failed the Victims of the American Overdose Crisis, was released in September 2021 and chronicled his behind-the-scenes efforts representing tens of thousands of victims in the Purdue Pharma opioid settlement litigation. Ryan is currently working on his third book, scheduled to be released in 2024. Ryan also created the national advocacy initiative Mobilize Recovery. Since its inception, Mobilize Recovery recruited and trained over 8,000 new advocates from all 50 states, focused on community-based solutions to end the addiction overdose crisis. Ryan shares with us his journey to and through recovery to this point, the profound why behind his advocacy, as well as a wealth of recovery and spiritual truth. There's a whole lot wrapped up in this phenomenal interview, so do be sure you listen up. Hey, everybody. What's up? It's your trusty co-host, Jason. Welcome to the Way Out Podcast. To all you faithful listeners and newcomers alike, uh, I have with us today a special guest, very special guest, uh, one of my probably dream interviews, I would say, Ryan Hampton. What's up, Ryan? What's going on? It's good to be here. Hell yeah. So for those of you who don't know, if you're living under a rock, Ryan Hampton is a <laughs> New York Times national best-selling author of the books American Fix, which is all about the opioid epidemic and uh, that we're dealing with. And then uh, the other book, Unsettled, which is kind of an insider's look at, uh, you know, being a part of one of these board of trustees that was all part of the Purdue Pharma uh, case that was going on. And wow, that book blew my mind, bro. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. He's also uh, part of the founding members of the Voices Project. And he is the founding member creator of Mobilize Recovery, which is a national initiative uh, to train people in, or, in uh, grassroots organizing and uh, how to better share their stories and mobilize the communities. And I'm sure that's just scratching the surface, brother, on what you do. Uh, but that's my little attempt at giving you a good, warm it's a welcome. Good attempt. It's a good attempt. You did good. Thank you. <laughs> and then uh, you also are... Uh, about to be releasing a third book, are you not? I am. I'm actually in the middle of writing it right now. Um, uh, more information coming out on that in the fall, but I've been busy at work uh, writing my third book over the last actually year now. Uh, I'm getting towards the tail end of it, but it will uh, more on the topic and uh, kind of the direction of the book will be public. Uh, in November 2024, uh, it should be on pre-sale by the beginning of the new year. I'm sorry, November 2023, it should be on pre-sale by the beginning of the new year. 
uh, and it will be out in bookstores uh, all across the country in fall of 2024. Oh my God. I'm stoked. And I was really hoping you'd give me something, man, but she ain't giving us nothing. I can tell you it's going to be a very deep dive and examination uh, into uh, the fentanyl crisis uh, and many of the harms that have led us to it, uh, and some of the backtracking that we've seen on public health policy um, that gets eerily close to returning to the war on drugs. God. Yeah, and, and we seemed like we were making strides in kind of the right direction for a little while here, and now... Yeah, it does we have our work, we have do, our work cut out for us? Yeah, for you sure. do see seem to see this. It's going getting pulled back. It's like what the hell? I don't know, man. It's but you know, it's good that we have these initiatives going on today. And I think of better than you know, things are looking more hopeful than they have since like whatever that was, and that was at the early eighties or late seventies when the. Uh, recovery advocacy movement really started to gain some good traction for a while there. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the advocacy movement, you know, just to dive right in, I mean, it's changed um, I think substantially from when it, it, from its early beginnings. Um, But, you know, 2023, 2024 and beyond are going to really be critical junctures for the advocacy movement because, you know, there's many questions on the table of, you know, are we going to stand by idly as many of the gains that we've made over the last 25 years have come to fruition? Or are we going to, you know, are we going to allow our policymakers to take us back into draconian policies that criminalize people who use drugs, criminalize addiction, uh, instead of really viewing this as, as the public health crisis that it is and always has been? Um you know, we've always been faced kind of at these moments of truth. And I think we've failed uh, many times, um, you know, most notably around opioids <laughs> um, of, of addressing one specific drug, one specific substance, as opposed to addressing, you know, the, the causes uh, of addiction as a whole. Um, and and we're, we're kind of up against that same backdrop now with fentanyl, where many of the you know, policies are, are, are being passed in state houses and in Congress that are focusing on one, you know, one, one cog in the wheel, which happens to be fentanyl. Um, and as a result of some of these policies, which range from drug-induced homicide laws to, you know, dropping uh, possession to small, minute amounts that will, you know, uh, include trafficking charges for people who are in actual possession of fentanyl, um, to, you know, many of these policies, um, pretty much put our good Samaritan bills on the chopping block. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's really a scary place of where we are. And I don't think that, you know, the folks in the early movement would have envisioned, you know, some of the challenges that we're up against today, you know, and whereas I think early parts of the movement were very focused on, you know, um, coming out of the shadows and, you know, building that constituency of consequence and being vocal about the issue and, you know, really using different types of language that would destigmatize addiction and substance use. Like we are literally, you know, in a different place right now where we're, we're fighting to ensure that we don't walk ourselves back 
you know, 30 years, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. which can pretty much happen overnight. And, and, you know, I think it's up to all of us to, to really examine, you know, many of these bills, many of these policies and, and their long-term impact. I think that, you know, the next 30 years of drug policy is going to be dictated by what happens in the next two, two and a half years on fentanyl. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we've been building a movement for some time. It's now really, you know, a moment, I think, in history where we give that movement, uh, you know, take that movement out for a spin um, and do something, um, you know, not to say that what we've done hasn't been meaningful, but I think even more meaningful um, because a lot of a lot of these bills that have been proposed, I mean, we've had some here in Nevada and Pennsylvania and Colorado and California and South Carolina and North Carolina. I mean, you know, there's hundreds of them that are sprouting up around the country. Um, you know, they're, they're going to push us right back into the shadows. I, I have no doubt about it. And if we're not vocal about this now, then, then I feel like what have we been building towards, you know? Absolutely. You know, and I, I'm with you hundred percent. It's, we can't give in and we can't give up. We have to keep trying to, you know, make the change and be the change. And if we don't, then, yeah, like you said, we'll just be just not. We we can't give in, we can't give up, but we also need to, you know, I think there's been a lot of siloing um, and, you know, splicing of like, you know, who we advocate for and who we don't advocate. Oh yeah. Definitely. If, if, if recovery is not advocating for the rights of people who use drugs and their exactly. protections, then, you know, I, I, I don't know what we're doing. You know, I mean, yep. all of us, you know, pretty much who are in recovery um, are people who use or who have formerly used drugs. And, it, you know, many of, you know, the, the, we are them, you know, I mean, we. That's we, totally we, true you know, and, and, and we need to be vocal about that and, and stand with them and, and help protect them. Um, because many of the policies that are geared, you know, harmful policies that are geared towards them have an absolute impact on us as well. Yeah, dude, absolutely. And you're so correct. Cause I see it even in my own community and we here in Minnesota have this, like, it's, it's known to be a pretty diverse and well-rounded and very active recovery community, one of the largest in the country. And yet here it's, it is exactly like that. You know, people have these strong convictions against these different types of recovery that are legitimate pathways. You know, there's lots of different ways to get to the top of the mountain. And yeah, we need to, it's got to be all inclusive to your point. But I think that's a good segue Talking but I think about- we also, I think I'll just say one more thing. I think we also need to like recognize that for some people, you know, that, you know, my journey, your journey isn't the goal, right? Like, I mean, like it, 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 it they may not want to be at the top of what we, you know, oh, what yeah. we view as our mountain, right? Their, their goal may be harm reduction. Their yeah. goal may be to just stay alive and like, and and that's okay. Yeah. Right? Or keep and the like, needle and, and out of their to, arm. Yeah. And we need to we need to support them, like no matter what, right? Because these overdose numbers are continuing to climb. I mean, we've seen a, a small plateau, but stay saying that we're at a plateau at 109,000 deaths last year is nothing to write home about, mm-hmm. right? That's still a catastrophic number. Yeah. And we need to be doing everything 
in our power and that's humanly possible to bring that number down no matter what, right? Mm -hmm. We need to put aside old thinking, old, old thoughts, old ideology, and really look towards, you know, data and science and anecdotal evidence of what will keep people alive right now and help right. them and, 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 and be all for it. You know, Minnesota, um, your home state, my beloved adopted state vis-a-vis, -vis, you know, my husband, Sean, um, mm -hmm. took a, a landmark, uh, step just last week when they became the second state in the nation, um, to really, you know, examine officially, um, you know, the, the effectiveness of overdose prevention centers, you know, safe can otherwise known as safe, safe consumption sites just behind Rhode Island. I mean, this is a, a radical move um, that or seen as radical by some, but really isn't that radical. I mean, it's common sense, you know, and um, you know, the fact that, 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 that the state of Minnesota is, is moving in that direction is a, a positive sign. Um you know, decriminalizing, you know, drug checking equipment, even with residue. I mean, these are, these are our progressive policies um, that will help curb these overdose deaths. You know, we know that folks who go through uh, overdose prevention centers or safe consumption sites, I mean, they have a, you know, 30 to 40% uh, more likely chance at, at asking for help at some point at seeking out some sort of additional help. Anybody who shows up to an overdose prevention center, subconsciously there's something going on they don't want to die right they don't want to die or else they wouldn't be showing up you know well and plus they're like resource centers too so there's seeds being planted and they know where they can reach out if they need different types of support you know what i mean and that's that's huge too um because if they have that small window of opportunity where they you know have a moment of clarity and they want to do something different they know where to go and they know how to find the help you know Right. Um, and trusted help. Right. They've exactly trust. Exactly. Exactly. Huge. So and you did mention that, you know, we are them. And and so with that uh, statement being made, I just thought that was a good segue to hear a little bit from you, a little bit of your history, a little bit of what it was like, because I know you're a person in long term recovery and you had your own struggles with substance abuse disorder. So would you share about that a little bit? Sure. I'll give up. I'll try. And I, usually when I tell this story, it could go very long winded. So I'll try and give the, the abbreviated <laughs> notes version, but yeah. um, you know, I got caught up in, um, in substance chaotic substance use in uh, the early two thousands. Um, I, you know, was working at the time I was uh, right out of college. I, had this promising kind of up and coming career in public policy and community organizing. I had worked for labor unions and political candidates and uh, the White House at the tail end of the Clinton administration and uh, was in Washington, D.C. Um, shortly after President Clinton left office and had taken a, a job at the Democratic National Committee working on the 2004 presidential uh, election and uh, it was the year before the election in 2003, and I was on a hiking uh, trip with my roommate, and I had a a really bad fall, um, slip and fall on the on the hiking trail that I was on, and split my platella, my knee, and um, uh, it hit my ankle pretty bad, and ended up in an urgent care physician at, at an in an urgent care physician's office in Maryland, and um, the urgent care physician prescribed me uh, Dilaudid. 
uh, hydromorphone, which is a very high grade opioid painkiller. Um, and told me I needed to get that knee checked out and an MRI done um, and wrapped it at the time um, and gave me this, this prescription to help with the pain. Uh, I never did get um, that MRI done, but I did keep going back for another prescription and another prescription and another prescription. And before you know it, you know, this um, prescription for my ankle and my knee was no longer just taking the pain away, the physical pain, but it was taking away, you know, decades of, of, of trauma pain that I had as well. I mean, at the time I was closeted, I, um, you know, was the survivor of, of childhood sexual abuse. I had a lot of identity issues. Um, there was a lot of stuff I wasn't stuffing that I was stuffing that I wasn't dealing with or, or talking about. So, um, you know, the, the, the medications became, you know, more than just a, a relief to, to physical issues, but to a, a tremendous amount of overloading, um, personal, uh, trauma that I was dealing with as well. Something I think a lot of us can relate to. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something that's really not talked about enough. Right. Um, certainly my chaotic drug use did happen or, or got kicked off in a doctor's office, but it wasn't, you know, this, um, a genie in a bottle type incident. It was something that had been building for some time. And, mm. you know, I was finally given an outlet where I, where I felt free is how, yeah. is how it felt. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the, the nexus of this though, for me was <clears throat> my dad had passed away during this time. And, uh, while I was seeing this urgent care physician and, and my mom wanted me to move back home to Florida. And so I came back home to, South Florida, where I was from and, and took a different job working on a, a campaign in, in um, Broward County, Florida. And this was uh, towards the tail end of 2003, entering into 2004. And I had gone to my primary care physician in Florida and, and told him, hey, doc, you know, I've, I've been on this pain medication and, you know, I'm going to need to continue it down here or do something for the pain. And he, my primary care said, well, I don't, I don't do pain management, you're going to need to go see a specialty doctor and there's plenty to choose from. And he was right. Um, you know, unbeknownst to me and, um, little did I know at the time, but South Florida, Broward County was kind of, you know, ground zero, uh, for the pill mill crisis. Right. Uh, you know, the origin story of kind of the current day overdose crisis, you know, there was a point in time where, you know, pill mills, unsuspecting pill mills really, you know, turbocharged, um, kind of how we got to where we're at today and um, ended up making an appointment at one of these doctors and and not knowing that it was a pill mill. And uh, she took a look at the prescription I was on and my, um, uh, my medical history and without sending me to get any more further testing done, uh, you know, said, listen, you're taking too many of these a day. There's this new medication out uh, that you only need to take twice a day. It works every 12 hours. It's long lasting. It's safe. There's, you know, mm. less than 1% uh, risk of addiction and it's called Oxycontin right. and uh, walked out of that office with my first prescription for Oxycontin. And, um, you know, my journey into chaotic, you know, substance use addiction was not protracted. It was within, uh, you know, a few months that I, I, you know, started displaying signs of problematic use, uh, it was within the first year that I, you know, was pretty much unemployable, lost my health insurance. I think within the first 18 months that I 
was evicted out of my apartment. It was within two years that I had my first uh, episode with treatment. Um, you know, I, uh, you know, was, had to start, uh, doctor shopping because, you know, one prescription wasn't enough to, to, to last me. And then, you know, got into the, you know, trading pills for cash so that I could, uh, you know, get something to eat or get a roof over my head for a couple of nights. I mean, it just really spiraled out of control completely. And it all really came to a head, uh, a couple of years later, um, when I was abruptly cut off from the medication, mm. uh, because I was tagged as a, as a drug seeker, as a drug addict. Wow. Um, and I was beyond the point of being able to choose at that, at that moment in my life, I, I needed this, this drug, this substance so that I could stay well. So I wasn't dope sick, right. um, and immediately turned to heroin, which, you know, we know how that goes. It was just a, a never ending kind of trap door of overdoses and homelessness and, mm. uh, you know, inability to, to access any type of treatment because I had no health insurance and, you know, by a stroke, a stroke of luck though, um, you know, after multiple attempts in public centers, um, I, I had found myself on the other side of the country because I thought that would fix it in California uh, in Thanksgiving Eve, 2014, after walking to a payphone for 30 days, uh, to make a call to a public treatment center, I was able to get admitted to one. And this treatment center did something different um, than the others had. They they put me on um, buprenorphine and I was on buprenorphine uh, for several months, which uh, saved my life. Um, and, you know, that same public treatment center helped me find uh, stable recovery housing. And, you know, I stayed in recovery housing for 18 months and, um I would say more so than the treatment, the housing and having a roof over my head and a peer community to be able to plug into uh, really saved my tail when there was nothing else out there for me. Um, you know, I was driving Uber that first year and a half of my recovery and <clears throat> kind of stumbled into advocacy. I never, you know, I didn't wake up on February 2nd or February 3rd, 2015, the day after I got sober and said, you know, I want to be an advocate. I want to write a book. I want to work at a nonprofit. I want to make this my purpose and my passion. It was quite frankly, completely opposite of that. I never wanted to talk about this again. Um, but that first year and a half of my journey, um, I lost a lot of people close to me. I mean, I, I, when I got sober, I thought everybody was going to stay sober. I thought everybody was going to be in recovery. I just, I, I had no idea what I was in for, um, you know, watching friends of mine being turned away at hospital rooms and being kicked out of recovery houses with nowhere to go and, you know, dying on the streets and, um, had a profound impact on me. And, um, you know, I had just had enough and, and was searching for something that I could do. And, you know, that something led me to others who were just as enraged as I was. Um, and I decided to get involved and kind of the rest is history. Yeah. And thank God, man, because I'll tell you what, I love it. I, I'm honored and humbled to even be a small part of what you got going on. And I really love that I get this chance to kind of like help lift up your voice to our small listening community and, and to, and to like, let them know, like, cause they're, you had such a promising career and future and then it all crashed down. And then, you know, now when you came out the other side of of your 
problem chaotic use then you've been able to do so much and inspire so many people to do so much and i'm just grateful to call a lot of you guys my friends man but so why don't you take a moment to talk to us about like what is it like now you know since since you found purpose and recovery and a sustainable you know healthy lifestyle i mean my life has a tremendous amount of meaning today um you know, it's been important to keep the advocacy separate from my personal recovery. Um, For sure. they, they intertwine a lot. Um, on the advocacy front, I, I don't think things have ever been as challenging and daunting as they have, particularly in the last year. Um, I feel like there was a lot more altruism and unity when I first got into recovery and when I first found recovery advocacy, mm. um, in many respects, I, I, it felt as if many of us were on the same page, but the deeper I went into advocacy, the more I realized that some of these systems, many of these systems that a lot of us have upheld actually need to be dismantled and rebuilt. Mm. Um, and because of that, there, there's been somewhat of an ideological split in the advocacy work, which has made it, I think, more frustrating than, than it was in the very beginning. Um, I think a lot of us looked at this through a very simplistic view that, hey, if we all just fought for more treatment and housing and you know recovery supports, we could save a lot more lives. But I think that you know, a lot of us were blindsided to the fact that treatment wasn't as equal or equitable for many populations as it is for us. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, in order to to get more treatment, to in order to get more housing, in order to, you know, um, fight for more recovery support, that, that we needed to address larger kind of societal social issues, such as, you know, poverty and, and, uh, unhoused populations and job access. And I mean, it just, it, 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 it almost feels like such a, and, and longstanding drug policy, right. Which is just continuously criminalized, not just people, but very certain types of people, uh, when it comes to, to substance use and it, it has become a lot, you know, um, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm grateful for kind of the evolution of, thought and evolution of, of agenda on my part because of people who have taken time to, uh, to teach me. Right. And, and, and because of my recovery, I've, I've remained teachable. Right. Um, And because of my recovery, I'm able to, you know, admit when I'm wrong and, and, you know, try to be a better person and a better advocate the next day. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, my recovery principles very much come into play in my advocacy work. Um, on the personal recovery side, um, I remain grateful every day. Um, I, I can't, I mean, I know it's, it's like cliche to say that I could never (laughs) imagine my life today as it is, you know, eight years ago, but it's the truth. I mean, I never, uh, thought that I would be married. I never thought that I would have a, a home and a dog and, you know, uh, something to eat and and not have to to worry about where it's going to come from and a community of people who, you know, love me and support me and lift me up and that I can be honest with and, 
you know, I think, um, you know, the freedom that comes with that, uh, is, is, you know, it's, it's invaluable. And, you know, one of the first things that my recovery gave to me and allowed me to have was a, a sense of identity of, of who I am and, and, and un, unabashed in, in that effort to like, not being ashamed of who I am. Um, yes. and kind of all things have, have, have led from that. Right. Because yeah. until I was able to have like safety and security in, in my own personal identity, the other things in my recovery wouldn't be able to, to thrive. And, um, you know, my, my sense of recovery, my sense of well being is, is constantly evolving and constantly changing. And I don't think fits the box of any one particular recovery pathway. You know, I've people say, well, how do you do it? And, and, mm-hmm. um, it's a lot of bits and pieces from a lot of different little things. Right. I, um, you know, I do personally subscribe as like a primary pathway, you know, 12 step, but, um, do I do it perfectly? Absolutely not. And folks will ask me about, you know, recovery pathways. And I'm a firm believer that there's as many recovery pathways as there are people that are in recovery, because I don't, I don't think that any of us work exactly the same type of program because we all live very different lives and we all come from very different sets of circumstances. Absolutely. Um, and I, I firmly believe that the most successful, you know, recovery pathways are those that are very individualized to the person um, and, and, and works for them. Um, well, my grand sponsor always says, get your sifter out, you know, <laughs> to yeah. find what you like and then just check the rest of it and whatever, you know, the, exactly. The and and whatever you. works. And, 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 you know, it's, you know, I, I think there's, there's been a lot of judgment in this community. And I think that, you know, there is a, a generation of people in recovery who, you know, particularly in the last few years have gotten more vocal and have, have made recovery much more of a welcoming open space uh, than it kind of historically has been. Yes. Um, you know, I think it's important and incumbent upon all of us who are in recovery to, to let folks know who are entering or early in recovery or are seeking recovery or looking for recovery or curious about recovery, that there is no perfect way to do this, right? The only perfect way to do it is what works for you, mm-hmm. period. Yep. Absolutely, man. And if you don't keep uh, being willing to fail, then you've truly failed. You know, you only fail like stop trying, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. it's as simple as that. Oh man. I love it, dude. Uh, you had me tearing up there for a minute. So I got, and I know, cause I know you're pressed for time. I got a series of seven questions. Rapid oh no. Fire. Rapid fire questions. Let's do it. I did yeah. the worst part. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> it's the best part, bro. <laughs> All right. First one. No uh, trick we, questions. No, sir. No, sir. And, you know, feel free to share as little or as much as you want on these, but uh, what does your daily routine consist of? Cause we think the daily routines uh, for your, you know, holistic wellness are like essential for, uh, you know, sustainable recovery. So what does your daily routine consist of? Oh, this is a good question. And so, um, I'm an early riser. I usually spend about an hour or so uh, in the morning uh, meditating, um, which for me is actually involves a lot of music. Um, yes. I usually do that outside before I start my day. If I do not do that, 
completely disconnected from work or other tasks that I may have, just me, myself, nature outside with music and usually my dog, um, my entire day is off off put if if I don't start my day that way. So it's it's that and I also end my day that way. Um, so it's kind of a wind up to the day and a wind down to the day. Yeah. Um, I stay in contact with uh, peers and fellows. Uh, meetings is a big part of it. Uh, and um, my dog as well. So I'm, I've, I, you know, my dog is a huge part of my recovery. Um, there are many moments during the day where I can feel my, if I feel myself getting stressed um, or, you know, kind of veering off course of, of being a reasonable human being, uh, <laughs> I will take a break and I will spend 20 minutes with my dog. Uh, Hell yeah. That helps to recenter me. I know. I have to sometimes be like, all right, I'm not fit for public consumption right now. I need exactly. to like reset, you know, it's yeah. like, holy shit. And it's so true. And dude, like with the starting of the day, part, that first part of your day, if you can get yourself on a good track, it seems like it's easier to stay on it. You know, it's like, yep. Yep. if I wake up late and I rush out the door and then I'm trying to speed and then I'm getting road rage already. And then I'm like, you know, I'm already, feeling flustered and frazzled the whole day can really get away from you. <laughs> so totally. Totally. Yeah, it's, it's good. I, I love that. Um, next question. And you can't pick one of your own. All right. But uh, what is a book or a piece of literature that has had the biggest impact on your recovery? Oh, the biggest impact on my recovery. I mean, it, the big book, I mean, <laughs> but like full stop. <laughs> right on brother. Yeah. 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 That's, that's big, a common book, The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous um, changed my life. Amen. That's a good book. It's a textbook. Yeah. 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 I don't agree, but just with a little asterisk on it, like I don't agree with everything in it, but I mean, the, the sum of it's, you know, of, of the whole is, is had a major impact on me. Yes. Oh yeah. Well, you got to get your sifter out. <laughs> yep. And then uh, next one, what is the best piece of advice you think you've ever received? Best piece of fight advice that I've ever received um, to shut up and listen. Love it. Yeah. What do they say? God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. <laughs> well, I mean, I've found that like when I, when I, when I, when I can shut down or shut up or be quiet and listen, it creates um, more empathy mm. for me. Um, and it's deeper also, understanding. Yeah. Understanding. And even if I don't um, agree necessarily with what I'm hearing, um, it's, you know, taught me patience, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and usually when I need to shut up and listen, um, what I would be saying anyways, wouldn't be too productive. <laughs> right. Right. You know, if you're just waiting to respond and you're not listening, well, then you're right. Not, yeah, right. <laughs> I feel that. And, and then you can't learn anything if you don't listen. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. And I love that you pointed out, you know, staying teachable because it's huge, you know, uh, I think we all falter plenty, you know, That's and, right. and we need, we need to give ourselves that room to learn and grow and take on new information and shit, you know, some of it might work for us, you know, exactly. Absolutely. Next one. What is the greatest challenge you've had to face in your recovery? 
greatest challenge that I've had to face in my recovery, uh, um, grief. Grief has always been a very difficult, uh, thing for me. Um, because there's just, it's different every time. Um, and it usually, you know, you go, you go about life thinking everything's everything and every, everybody is going to remain the same or be there. And I'm not talking about just grief of like loss of, of like humans or animals or anything like that, but grief of situations and mm. friends and life changes. And, um, you know, there, there's a level of grief in all of that, that I think is sometimes under, you know, under talked about for folks in recovery, because, um, you know, it's, 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 um, it's, it's hard. And, and I've always found myself through grief situations, having to, you know, remain close, even closer than most times to recovery principles. Yeah. Um, you know, because it, it comes with like fear of change as well. You know, you think about it in grief of, you know, grief of loss of life or anything like that. I mean, those are processes of change and, and those are, those have been particularly difficult uh, for me. Yeah. Or I think of, you know, principles before personalities, right? It's like people are going to fail you. Right. And even though you know that moving forward with your life, you're still going to find yourself in situations where your fucking mind is blown by the fact that this certain thing happened. This situation went down the way it did. And, you know, that's hard to take, you know, like to your point that you go through a grieving process with some of those things. And I know when I was reading your book unsettled, I love the fact that you named it that. And I thought that a few times during reading it because I got so angry reading about that. Yeah. And And that was the the whole thing that you guys had this hope, you know, and you had this hope and then, and then it was like, that fucking was pointless to even have the hope, you know, and that, that that sucks. That's shitty. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And it was like unsettled with such a different book than American fix and American fix was, you know, you can tell like the times when it was written. Right. I mean, like, cause I do my writing in real time and it's really like a snapshot of like where I'm at and where my head's at at the time that I'm writing. And, right. you know, American fix was, you know, you know, a bit of a memoir in the sense of it was my, you know, my story leading up to that moment in 2018 when it was, when it was published, but it kind of ended on a very altruistic note of, my hope and and mm-hmm. where I felt we were moving, you know, going in the direction as a movement and then unsettled, you know, for some people felt like, you know, this was a very unhopeful type book, but there are definitely nuggets of hope uh, totally. woven throughout unsettled, because I think if unsettled showed anything, it showed just the, the, the progress of how, how we've gone. We went from this place of hoping to be, at the front end of decision-making to being in the front end of decision-making, but also really detailed the power structures that we were up against. Mm-hmm. And that while we may have, you know, in some view failed at what we were hoping to accomplish, the fact that we had such substantial power throughout that process shows the progress. And, and I think this third book will be, you know, um, a little mix of both, 
of those right. narratives, right? That well, I thought you know, it was just awesome because you that whole concept of like this was just like really like you things that you journaled because you couldn't speak of what you were doing right so it was like you said in real time and i think that lent to the added more power to the experience of reading it like i could feel just how pissed off you were in that moment you know and and it like pissed me off (laughs) you know what i mean it was right. a it was an awesome book, dude. I couldn't put the thing down. And <laughs> same with American Fix, but I mean, Unsettled. I read that much faster. I I like couldn't like. I'd be like one more chapter, one more chapter. <laughs> I just couldn't fucking stop, dude, because I was all fired up. You know, I'd be like oh, yeah. trying to. You know how you try to read a book to go to bed because reading will make me tired. Not that book won't. You're gonna be like, <laughs> fuck, it's getting late. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it it was powerful, bro. And uh, I don't want to give too much away for people that haven't read it because, but yeah, it's very enlightening. And and there's plenty of hope in there as well. So I'm not yep. trying to, I'm not trying to give the impression it wasn't a hopeful book. I'm just saying that you can feel the frustration, the anger and the, and the, and the sure. like, just yep. like we were just talking about that mind blowing sense of like, what the fuck, you know, like yeah, totally. this is all a dog and pony show type shit. And it that sucks when you, you feel like you've been played, right? Anyway, we were, we were played. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know it sucks. And uh, I, I was like, wow. Anyway, we don't want to get too deep into that shit, but, uh, so yeah, we t- talked about your greatest challenge you've had in recovery and went on a tangent with that as a love. But what is your greatest success that you think in recovery so far? Getting married. I knew you were going to say that. Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, say hi to Sean for me, by the way. I will. <laughs> I got to get him on here too. I'm um, sure love to. <laughs> All right, next one. We only got two left, buddy. And the last one's a fun one. Nice, easy one. Uh, this one's a, like the heaviest one and you don't have to answer if you don't want, but what is something that you haven't forgiven yourself or someone else for? Oh, what is something I haven't forgiven myself or someone else for? Mm-hmm. Um, I try really hard not to hold resentment so searching for something I don't forgive others for is, is a little difficult. I mean, there's plenty of things I think that I don't forgive a lot of people for, but they're way out of my control. If that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Like, I mean, I could list you, you know, I could list the, 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 the lawmakers in all 50 States that are responsible for 491 pieces of legislation you know, this year that, um, you know, seeks to, you know, strip my rights of, you know, being a gay man and, and, and rights of, you know, young people who are LGBTQIA plus, you know, I could, I could, I could list every single one of them and say that I, I don't forgive them for doing that, but that is, you know, something that I think is, is, is a lot higher up than probably what you're searching for. I'd, I'd say in my, my Not necessarily. Goal, it, could, it, it could be you anything. Know, you know? Yeah. I, I, I think, you know, people who seek to, people who seek to intentionally harm others is something that is 
very hard for me to, to forgive. Um, mm. you know, it's very hard for me to forgive. Um, I think on myself, um, I've done a lot of work, uh, you know, to, to get through, um, a lot of the unforgiving parts of, of who I thought I was, um, at, at, at certain moments in my story and my journey. Um, so that, that's, that, that's a, that's a really, I'm, I'm, I am oddly stumped on this one. Um, I I think that you actually covered it quite well because the fact that you've done the work, the hard inner work to recover yourself, Ryan shows that that's why you're struggling to find something with yourself because you mentioned earlier in the show, you've come to an acceptance of yourself in a, in a, in a clear view of who you are and your identity. I will, I will say though, on more, a more philosophical point that if I do find something about myself that is unforgiving, I do try to, to identify it quickly and work through it because you address it. Yeah. I do feel that when you, when you let unforgiving things about yourself linger, that can become quite problematic in your wellness journey. It's the worst. It's, and, and this is a journey and it's, it's like character defect whack-a-mole, you know, I can think I'm doing really good. And like, I've, I've got it. Like, I'm like such a good guy now. And then, you know, something could come up that makes me go, wow, where did that come from? Like, I thought that I dealt with that pain or, you know, at least now I'm aware when it's like a trauma response or, you know, know like something like that, where I can go, wow, I need to focus on that some more. I need to heal some more on that. So, I mean, it's, it's a process. And that's why I wrote the question, man, because it's like, it's either others or it's yourself, but it's like, there's always something. And even if you... You know, like my sponsor always says, you know, you, you do the step, you, you, you deal with some of these resentments and things so you can make room for more. Cause you're always going to have more, you know, come right. up. Yeah. So it yeah. is what it is, man. It's just, you know, keep working at what's it, the lights shining on today. So I just think it's, it's good because people put others on pedestals and it's good for them to see that, you know, no matter how. I don't like to be seen. I mean, that's one thing I will tell you. Like I, I, it, while it's humbling and like grateful, you know, when folks talk to me about the work that I've done or the books or, you know, right. mobilize recovery or the advocacy, I, I don't like being put on a pedestal. And right. sometimes that's just, it's hard. Um, because it wasn't just me that's done. Like I have to, you know, constantly find myself reminding others and reminding myself that it, it, it's, it's not me, it's, it's us. And none yeah. of this would have been possible without really a community effort, you know, whether it's writing the book or running the organizations or the different pieces of legislation or some of the positive shifts we've seen. Like I didn't take any of this on myself. And, no, and, hell no. You, you couldn't know, have, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, I've kind of been very intentional, you know, particularly the last two years to, to really try and get more in the backseat of the issue. And, and, you know, cause at some point others, we need others to, to be lifted up and, um, 
you know, there's nothing more than I want to see in the next couple of years than for others to come along and, you know, do things bigger, bolder, huger, you know, like yes. you know, way more successful than I ever could have even imagined. You know, that's really my ultimate goal. Um, otherwise, this movement's not sustainable. Amen. And I, I'm there with you, man. It's like, I, I can't do this. I'm not an Island, you know, like I think people just are prone to put, try to put one face to something and it's not how the real sure. world works. Right. Right. Yep. All right, buddy. One last question and you can go have your Memorial weekend dinner, Sunday night dinner. <laughs> oh, by the way, happy Memorial day tomorrow. Happy Memorial day. Uh, yeah. I hope that you have been enjoying your weekend so far. This is my favorite question, man. And I'm curious to hear what your answer is, but what is a song that symbolizes your recovery? Hmm. Um, a song that symbolizes my, re- oh boy, there's a lot of songs. I mean, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah I can tell you a, a song that I, so no rain by blind melon is like one of my favorites. And I think a lot of that, um, dude, that's uh, a great pick right there. Man. Yeah. So no rain by blind melon is, is probably, you know, the one song that has sustained itself from pre recovery into early recovery into today that, that, um, has a lot of meaning to me in my journey. It's a wonderful song. And my friend, I guarantee it's not on the way out playlist yet. So I'm super stoked because it's getting to the point. <laughs> I've been doing we've been doing this long enough now with these closing questions that sometimes you get re, you know, people say this a repeat book, you know, like big book, obviously the Bible. Did you hear that all the time? Uh, but songs now you're starting to get people. And that's cool, man. I mean, they're good <laughs> songs. It makes sense that it's going to happen eventually, but it's not on the list yet, and it's going to be tonight. Excellent. Uh, good. Good. So I all you guys, right <laughs> yeah, hell yeah, dude. Thanks for your contribution to the playlist, man. <laughs> so all you guys out there, uh, I hope you enjoyed this interview. And uh, just so you know, as always, in the show notes, we'll have easy access, clickable links to the voices project mobilize recovery to purchase uh, Ryan's books uh, and for the book recommendation for the song and all that good stuff, contact information for Ryan and everything will be in there. Nice and easy wrapped up in a bow for you guys. So you can get a hold of him or check out these things that he's done, uh, you know, with the help of others. Thank you, Ryan, for being here, brother. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Can't wait to see you in September. Yeah, dude. I'm stoked. We'll see you there. All right. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Take care of yourselves and each other, you guys. Peace. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out. We appreciate your ears. We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week. So keep listening up. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, dot com. There you can subscribe to the Way Out podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators, such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, Overcast, and more. 
or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.